Okay, Romans chapter 12, start turning there. We're going to look at verses 15 and 16 today. So Romans 12, if you don't have a Bible, put your hand in the air. We'll have guys come down the aisles here and gals to bring you Bibles. Okay, raise your hand, don't feel weird. Uh, we want you to follow along as we go through. Okay. Now, <coughs> here's where we've been for the last, uh, let's see, seven weeks now. We've been doing a mini-series on the ethic of love per and as shaped by the gospel. We said that in Romans, and I've said this every week of this series, that we have to get this, that Romans 1 through 11 give us and present to us the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it means and what it looks like and how it shaped us, okay? And then 12 through 16, the last five chapters of the book of Romans, gives very practical realities of what this means to live this out. What we've done for the first eight weeks of, of chapter 12 is to say, hey, in this moment, there is this, this kind of ethic of love that is raised up to say, listen, if you really love Jesus... And that's a question for us this morning, because I know not everyone here does. But if you're here, and I'm asking you right now to think, if you're here and you love Jesus, everything we've talked about over the last six weeks, we'll talk about this week and next week, is mandate for what your life should look like. Like, we're, we're indicted by the truth of Scripture to say, okay, if I love Jesus, if I believe in what he's done, if he's my Savior, if I've, if I've done the all, whatever that... If that's, true, if that's true for you, then, then these must be true of the way your life looks like. Okay. It, it must be true of the way we live. Now, do we fall short? Certainly, and the gospel comes in and gives us the ability to get up the next day even though we failed and try again. Okay. So that's beautiful. But I don't want us to miss out on what we're getting here, on the mandate of what we're getting here. Now, in the midst of this preaching on love, we've constantly tried to remind ourselves that the love that the world is trying to offer you is different from the love that we see in the Bible. Okay? The, the, the world is going to say, okay, this is what love looks like. And then the Bible is going to say, ah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of that, but it's also this. It's far more robust. And it tends to be more focused on other people than yourself. So the love that the world offers tends to be more about you, okay? It tends to be more about your emotion. Do you experience, do you feel love? So do you look at your spouse, do you look at that guy that's, so do you look at him, okay, and say, and your heart just gets all fluttery, right? It becomes this emotional response to these feelings that we feel, and that's what love is. And so I began to think through some romantic comedies this week, and um, this is something that uh, I, I love, and I'll be honest with you, okay? I'm a big rom-com guy, and, uh, and I watched them with my wife, and we watched Love Actually, uh, I don't know, about a month ago. How many people have seen that? Okay, good. So most of you will get this. So in the movie Love Actually, there's about, I don't know, about 57 different love stories. It's crazy, okay? There's all sorts of stuff going on. One of the love stories is there is a man who marries Kira Knightley, okay? And, and then there's a best friend that's in the picture here that also seems to be in love with Kira Knightley, okay? And, and, and I hate this story of, of the entire movie. It is by far the worst love story because it all crescendos in this grand moment right, where, where you've got the husband and Kara Knightley, and they're sitting on the couch, and they're just hanging out watching TV, and this friend who, if you watch Walking Dead, is actually Rick from Walking Dead, which is hilarious. Um, so Rick, you know, wipes off all the, the zombie entrails and then goes to the front door of, of, this, of his best friend and his new wife. And he knocks on the door, and, and, it's, and you know, the music's playing, and it's beautiful, and, 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 you know, and your heart's going, and, and, and he confesses his love to his best friend's wife, 
Right, he says, he says this, he says, um, and he does it with, with like flashcards, like big flashcards that he scrolls through. He says, for now let me say, without hope or agenda, just because it's Christmas, and at Christmas you tell the truth, to me you are perfect, and my wasted heart will love you until you look like this. And it was a picture of a mummy, right? And then he says, Merry Christmas, and then he goes thumbs up. And then he walks away, and then Kira Knightley chases after him, and they begin to make out. Right. And so here's the thing. You, you, you watch this scene, and you find yourself all of a sudden pulling for Rick, right? You, you all of a sudden find yourself saying, like, oh, that is just so amazing. He confesses his love for her. It's beautiful, and it's Christmas, so that's good. And and then you get down and you just take one step back and realize the love that we're celebrating is adultery. And yet, man, that, listen, that type of love is the love that we celebrate in this culture, a love that is all about the individual. If that guy truly loved that woman, he doesn't say a thing because true love seeks the flourishing and the bettering of the other person, not yourself. And so this is, this is the type of love that we're talking about today. So if you get to the end of this and you're just not feeling it and your heart's not engaged, well, that's because you're focused on a love that's about you. And the love that we see embodied in Jesus Christ was a love that was not focused on himself, but focused on glorifying God and caring for the other. Okay? And that's the love that we're trying to move towards today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, um, at six actions today. And, and you heard the scripture already. There's six mandated actions that are shaped, that shape our gospel-centered love today. And here's what we do. If, you, if you've been here of, of any length, really, you'll notice that whether it's me preaching or Anthony or Nate's been up here, whoever it is, we get into the text, we break it down, but we always try and land with Jesus, right? We, we always try and land with the gospel, because there's this fear that we'll try and just do it ourselves, right? We'll pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We'll say, okay, that's what he's calling us to. I'm going to do this. And we'll leave Jesus and the power of the gospel to the side. We can't do that. So normally what we'll do is we'll, we'll get into the word, we'll break it down, and then we'll say, okay, Jesus. And we'll just lay Jesus on pretty heavy at the end. What we're going to do today is we're just going to look at Christ the entire time, okay? Um, we're going to go through a ton of scripture, and my goal is today, as we hit these six actions in just two verses, is that we would notice that Jesus Christ exemplifies and enables us to live this out. He exemplifies these six actions and then calls us and enables us to actually be able to do the same as he's done. Okay. So with each one, we're going to say, what, does it mean to, what, is, what did this mean to Jesus and what does this mean for us? The six actions is just to give them to you quick, okay? Rejoice with others, weep with others, live in harmony with others, don't be haughty, associate with the lowly, and don't be wise in and of yourself, okay? Those six commands, okay, how does, what does that mean for Jesus? How did he live this out? And then how and in what ways does he empower us to then go and do this as well? Okay, so verse 15a, rejoice with those who rejoice, so what this meant to Jesus, John 2, 1 through 5, this is the wedding at Cana. It says, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come, which I just kind of love that interaction. Just like, man, chill out. It's not my time. 
And I just want to point out, when he says woman, that's not derogatory. It was just, that's what they did back then. So don't read it as like woman, you know, so. <laughs> Jesus wasn't in sin. But he says, woman, it's not my time. And yet, even though Jesus, knowing it was not his time, in other words, he was not ready to display the full magnification of his glory to people. He wasn't about to begin his three years of ministry yet. And yet, here in this moment, he says, okay, here's, here's what my choice is. There's people here, and there's this wedding, and the wine has run out, right? Which is always a bad thing, okay? And so Jesus says, I'm going to care for them more than myself. Even though, listen, Jesus had this agenda. It's not my time yet. Jesus had his own agenda, but then says, for the sake of them, yeah, I'm going to turn water into wine. Jesus' first miracle we get in the Bible. So for the sake of the other, Jesus sacrifices his own agenda that everyone else might be able to continue to celebrate. Jesus enters into their rejoicing and rejoices with them. We're called to do the same thing. So what does this mean for us? This means that you enter into people's lives, you see what they're celebrating, and you celebrate alongside them. Not that difficult. Not that difficult. Unless what they're celebrating isn't something you're all that excited about yourself. That's where this rubs the wrong way. So you hear this, like they rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah, obviously, I'll show up to the party. That's no problem. I get invited to a wedding. That's fantastic. Free food. I'm there. But what happens if your friend or family member is, is doing something that you're not all that excited about? Case in point, this coming Sunday, Tyler and Helena James are going to be back in Flagstaff. are going to lead worship for us. Well, Helena won't be. She's just going to be in the back with the kids. But uh, Tyler is going to be leading. And that's because that's she can't sing. This is just going wrong. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Tyler is going to be leading worship. Tyler and Helena moved with their little daughter, Eleanor, uh, to uh, California last year. And they moved up with us when we originally came up here to plant this church. They're one of our core team. He would help lead worship with Nate. Just a fantastic family. We love them. Did a lot of little different things here for us. And then here's what happened. They got a job offer from Reality Church in Los Angeles. Okay, Reality Church is a great church. And he could go from, and it wasn't a tough decision, he could go from being a full-time volunteer with no pay here or a full-time with pay and benefits at a really awesome growing church and to work out in gifts that he had in Los Angeles. And so he took it, right? And, and it was one of those things. I mean, we'd only been up here for like, man, eight or nine months, and all of a sudden one of our best friends and closest friends was moving away from us and was also then going to hinder some of the things that we wanted to do here at the church. But in that moment, even though all of our staff was like, man, this is terrible for us, we're going to miss them so dearly, we sat with them and rejoiced with them because we knew it was better for them than it was necessarily for us. Do you guys rejoice with people even if it's not exciting for you? Are you guys okay with stepping into other people's lives and saying, no, no, I am with you and I am for you, even though, man, maybe that's not, maybe that doesn't help me, but you know what, it helps you, it causes you to flourish, and I'm more about you than I'm about myself. Okay, that's the type of love that we're being shaped here by, okay? That's what we see with Jesus, okay? The same goes with weeping. 15b says, weep with those who weep. Now, this, this word weep, there's, there's two words for weep in the Bible, 
One is kind of that casual, like, you know, maybe a single tear, you're a little sad, whatever. This, then the other one is a wailing type of weeping. Right? One where you're just so wrought with emotion that you're just, you're just exclaiming the pain and hardship that has happened. And that's the type that's being used here. Weep, wail with those who wail. Enter into their business. Jesus, what does this mean to him? John eleven thirty two through 36 says this. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Ready? Jesus wept. He wailed. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Right? So here's, if, if you don't know the story, Jesus was, was far off. He hears through, through, a, mess, like, through a messenger that um, Lazarus, one of his closest friends, was dying. He has in that moment the opportunity to go and then, I don't know, care for him or do his Jesus thing, but he doesn't. He waits two days and then shows up on the scene and then Mary rushes out to him and says, he's already gone. He's already gone. So Mary and Martha and these Jews, they're all weeping over the loss of Lazarus. And it says that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, two, two words, Jesus wept, he wailed, he'd entered into their suffering. Here's, here's what I love about this, and we don't often realize it. You think Jesus didn't know what he was getting ready to do? do, you, do you th and if you don't know the story, Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the death. Do you think Jesus didn't know that he was about to raise no, he knew fully. He knew exactly what was about to happen. He knew that although Lazarus was dead for the moment, he was about to be alive again. So he could have just said, Man, chill out. I'm going to do my thing. But he doesn't talk like that because he's Jesus. He probably said it way more holy. <laughs> no, Jesus weeps. Why? Because Mary and Martha were weeping for no other reason. I'm sure, yeah, Jesus was sad in the moment of the fact that Lazarus was gone, but he fully knew he was coming back. He knew he would once again experience fellowship with one of his closest friends. And in that moment, he weeps and he wails because Mary and Martha weep and wail, and he enters into their pain, into their brokenness, into their suffering, and says, I am with you, and I experience and empathize with where you're at. And do we, do I, do we do this? I don't know. Do, are we, listen, do we even love people enough that when we see that brokenness, when we see that pain, that we're willing to go and just say, okay, I'm here with you? And do we love enough that when we see those in our life hurting and broken, that we ourselves are hurting and broken? I, I, I kind of think maybe we don't, but maybe that's just more of an indictment on, on how weak our love is for one another. Again, maybe an indictment and maybe the truth that we love ourselves, and our love is shaped by our own emotion and not the love and desire to see the other flourish and grow. Okay. The love that Jesus exemplifies. Um, many of you know last year when Verdi and I were, uh, were dealing with, with, a, with a miscarriage, we found out about our miscarriage, and, and um, that day, 
That, I mean, that day, we, we told a few people, that day Nate and Emily showed up to our house. And, and it, was, it was amazing because they, they weren't there to fix anything. Like there, was, there was no fixing this. Like this terrible thing happened, this broken thing happened in our world, and there was nothing that could be done to fix it. But these two came over to our house, they sat with us, and you know what? They just wept. They just jumped into our mess, sat there with us, prayed with us, cried with us, and honestly, there was nothing more that we could have needed in that day than that. Every, everyone in this room needs friends like them. And the only way that happens is if you become that type of friend. If you become that type of family to the people around here. Don't just expect other people to do it. If you're, listen, this only works, all of this only works if it's all hands on deck. Otherwise, we start getting jealous, we start getting prideful. Oh man, I'm so, I serve so much. But when everyone's serving and loving everyone and weeping with each other and rejoicing with each other, it just forms this incredible bond and family community that cannot be shaped by anything other than the love of Christ himself. And so rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And man, just having this baby, Finley, he's, he just cries all the time at night and it's just so annoying. And I'm just like, man, shut up, you know. Just kidding, love him to death. Um, but seriously, he just, you know, he's a baby, so he cries. And it's funny because I'll go to him and I'll take him up out of his crib and, and you do all, you have to run through the checklist. And if you're a parent, right, you get this and, and I'm just learning it, but right, you, you run through it. So check the diaper. Diaper's good. No problem. Don't need to do that, right? Uh, you check to see if he needs to feed. Here you go, Verity, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you check to see, okay, is he gassy? Do I need to burp him? You know, there's a few different things. You say, okay, this is the checklist on how to fix a weeping baby. But sometimes it's just, hold me. Like sometimes it's just, man, they, they're just, they're a ba- they don't know what's going on, and so they just want to be held in your arms, and they want to know that you're there. I bring this up only because I know my own deficiency when it comes to this weep with those who weep thing, and it's the fact that anytime I try and delve into empathy, I want to just fix you. I just want to fix those who are hurting. So even if Verity is hurting, I just want to fix her. I just want to say, okay, why are you crying? What do I need to do? Here's some candy. I mean, just whatever. Please stop crying. But sometimes, I think we need to learn that it has nothing to do with fixing the other person. It has more to do with just entering into where they're at, understanding their pain, and just standing side by side with them because you're, you're not able to fix anything. We try all the time, we fail. Enter into people's lives, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay, verse 16. 16 I says this, this is our third action. Live in harmony with one another. Now this, this the idea of harmony is very specific. It's just kind of be of one mind with one another. Have the same thoughts, believe the same things, in a general sense, okay? What this means to Jesus, we see Paul talking about him in Colossians 3, 14 and 15. says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Right? So we, we reflect on Jesus, the full embodiment of love and peace, the full embodiment of harmony. And it is from understanding him and allowing him to dwell richly in you that you're able to be of one mind in accord with those around you. Now, now this means a ton of different stuff for us, and there's, there's lots of problems here. This is where we get a lot of division. Okay, so how are we supposed to line up on everything? We can't believe all the same things. And so I'd like to just propose that maybe we just believe the same things on a macro level and maybe stop whining so much about the micro. Here at the church, we have open-handed and close-handed issues, okay? So if you go through membership here, there's some issues for us that are close-handed, right? Jesus is God. Not going to debate you on that one, okay? The Bible is inerrant. That's a non-negotiable. There's other stuff that's open-handed for us. Stuff that we say, listen, okay, you, you can believe something on this spectrum of Christianity, of Orthodox Christianity, and we're, listen, welcome aboard, I want to propose that we just start to expand that even beyond our theology, beyond our doctrine, and all the little spats that you and I get into on Facebook and on comment sections of stupid blogs, they are pointless. Give it up. And let's start aligning with one another, being in harmony with one another about the things that we're supposed to be in harmony about, namely the person and work of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel the power of the gospel to move us back into a right relationship with our Father and redeem all of creation. Might that type of robot, might that be the thing that holds us together and we would just kind of say, okay, this other stuff, man, have convictions, please. Research, study, have convictions on different things of this world, but find that line where you realize all this does is push against the mandate that you have to be of one mind with your brothers and sisters in Christ and just let it go, okay? Be in harmony with one another. 16b, our fourth action, do not be haughty. Do not be haughty. You have to say it that way. Like, haughty just sounds weird, but if you say haughty, then it's, oh, I get that. Um, Haughty means superior in Webster's, okay? And I always love going to Webster. I don't know why. It's my favorite. It means superior, but when you get into the Greek, it literally means high-raised, Haughty, high raised. And so um, if any of you have ever been, how many people here have been to New York City before? Okay, right? Wow, you got really excited about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like, I hate Flagstaff, New York City. Um, <laughs> you go to New York City and as you're driving up, so if you ever fly into Newark, which is in New Jersey, right? Um, you, you drive up from Newark into the city and, and all of a sudden what comes into view is the skyline of New York City, right? And you're just like, dang. We ain't in Flagstaff anymore, you know. <laughs> There's just buildings and big buildings and big buildings. And, and you see, I mean, the Freedom Tower is now, what, like the tallest building, I think, in North America. I mean, things are massive, right? You see the Empire State Building. You see all of these high-rises. And you get this, this feeling as you look at it, like, man, those two buildings are the most important buildings in New York City because they're the biggest. They're the most easily seen from a distance. They're the highest. They're the tallest. They're, they must be the most important. And so here's the idea that I think, do not be haughty, is to say, listen, listen, 
just like those buildings might look really important, they're not necessarily the most important buildings in the city. In other words, stop acting like you're all that. Regardless of what you've achieved, regardless of what you look like, regardless of how you compare to the people around you, stop thinking of yourself more than you should. Do not be superior to the people around you. What does this mean for Jesus? John 13, three through five says this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So okay, just, okay, God gave everything to Jesus, said you rule everything. So there was not a guy who could be higher than anyone else and that he had come from God, was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Verse five, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that wrapped around him. This is a very famous story in the Bible, right? Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Do you get the depth of what's happening here? Jesus, God, the one with whom the Father has given everything into his hands. He fought, listen, far more important than you or I. Both figuratively and, uh, what's the word? Literally. Stoops down. Stoops down. Does not think of himself highly. Does not make himself superior. But rather, stoops down and serves those around him. Again, what? Not thinking of his own emotion, not thinking of his own well-being, not thinking of his own gain, but of the others feeling honored and loved and blessed. And so the Son of Man, the Savior with whom we sing songs to every single week, found himself kneeling down to wash the grossest, grubbiest, dirtiest little things you could ever find. And that's, listen, that's the king that we celebrate one who did not find himself too superior, but rather made himself low. Now, um, this means a lot of stuff for us. Because what's happened in our cultures, we've built these social constructs that we look to, and it makes you and me think that we're better than we are. Right? So wherever you test at, right? So what, what are your grades? Right? You get IQ tests, you, know, you take this thing, you know, we, 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 we give labels to different people. We say, okay, this is better than this. And so what group do you associate with? I mean, there's just throughout your life, you are competing in a constant, constant world of status, which gives us the opportunity to feel that we're more superior to the people around us, and this is not okay we look to Jesus and say, okay, regardless, I, listen, you could be the most accomplished person in this room. You could be the best at your job. You could be the best student at your school. It does not matter. You act like Jesus, Christian. You do not view yourself as better than. And you consider the needs of others more important than your own. Okay. And just a nugget for you, if you find yourself thinking highly of yourself it's not going to last very long. And that's just experiential. That's God saying that he opposes the proud. And this happens pretty practically, and I see it a lot of times in life. You will be humbled. Remember the, uh, I was thinking of 
humiliating moments this week. And, uh, and even <laughs> my friends Jesse and Ed asked the question, what's your most embarrassing moment? And I'm not sharing the ones that I shared with them, but I'll share another, okay? Um, when I was, I got saved, well, you can call, you know, 18, you know, late high school, early college, kind of there. And we were leading this Bible study with a bunch of people. And I noticed, because I was an early Christian, that when I looked around, it seemed like every male knew how to play the guitar, okay? And I don't know what that is about Christians and men and guitars. I think it's, oh, hey, babe, let's go. You want me to play some worship? <laughs> Ladies, don't fall for that one, okay? <laughs> it's a scheme we all know about, okay? Um, so I, I learned to play the guitar. Not very good, but I learned C, D, and G because I'm a Christian, okay? <laughs> and I learned how to play Heart of Worship and a couple other songs. And there was this Bible study, and I really wanted people to know not only was I this great outspoken evangelist, because I would talk to anybody and be real annoying, but I could also sing and lead worship. I mean, I could be that guy with the guitar up front, and, you know, it's just all the ladies are hearing Dreamweaver, and it's just beautiful, right? <laughs> and so I get called up to, uh, by a buddy of mine, my best friend Matt, and he's doing Bible study that night, and I say, hey, man, if you need someone to lead worship, I'm your guy, okay? And so he says, yeah, absolutely, and so I'm practicing all afternoon. And then I get there, and it's time to get started, Okay. First song is Heart of Worship, and I'm going to sing it for you. And it says this. It says, I can't do it. Never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can. It says, um, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> when the music fades and all is stripped away. I mean, it was, I went full creed on everybody. <laughs> okay? I'm kidding. And so that was hard for me to do right there. That was brutal. Okay? In fact, thank you. Um, this is why Nate doesn't let me come up here. Um, and, so, and so I do this, and, and I'm thinking, I'm like, gosh, man, I'm crushing it right now. <laughs> I open my eyes after, and all is stripped away. And I see three attractive blonde females in the front row laughing. <laughs> okay. And immediately, every pore in my body opens up, and I begin to sweat profusely right? I'm talking like just everything was just like flowing from me. Streams of, of just dirty water was just leaving my body. And I'm just, I'm just so in that moment humbled. So in that moment humbled. And here's, and here's the thing. For me, as I thought about that moment this week, it was really helpful. Because then I began to think about a bunch of other humbling moments in my life. And there have been many. In fact, listen, the more proud you are, the more of those moments you're going to have. Okay? So avoid them at all costs. But if you're here and you've got them, reflect on them this week. Go back and just think of them because, listen, you can learn so much. It's not about you. Okay? You will be humbled. Okay? We look to Jesus. We say, what's best for you? I'm not going to puff myself up. I'm not going to see myself as superior. I'm not going to craft this vision for my life to make you think I'm greater than I am. In fact, I'm going to do the lowest type of things so that you know you are valuable to God. Do you, do I, do we love like that? Okay, that's the question. 
That's the question. Verse 16c. Associate with the lowly. Okay, this is very tied to this, right? So what Jesus does with, um, with, with the washing of the feet, but I want to read one more story from him just to exalt Jesus a little more today, which is never a bad idea. Matthew 8, verses 2 through 4 says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer that gift that Moses commanded for a proof for them. So not only does Jesus touch the person in society, I mean physically touch the person in society that no one would ever get near, he then seeks to receive absolutely no credit for it. Don't go and tell anybody about this. This is, this is our thing. Associate with the lowly. And, and listen, that, there are many who would be considered lowly in our world today that we seem to ignore. And oftentimes it just gets, okay, home, right, the homeless, the impoverished, those tend to be the number one most identical. Okay, they are lowly. They're outside of society. But I, I want to tell you, it is, the numbers are far more vast than that. The, 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 the breadth and the width of it is, is far more vast than that. It's not just the homeless. It, honestly, if we look at our culture and the structures that have been set up, oftentimes, listen, minorities, they get set to the side because they're different. 10% of our city is Native American. 10% is Hispanic. 1% to 2% is everything else other than white. And honestly, in the city of Flagstaff, a lot of times, those three groups get treated less than than compared to the majority. It's something that we need to think about in the way that we love when we think about the mentally ill. Lowly, set aside, cast down. We should be going to those people. If you look around your life and it's nothing but white middle-class America, you're probably not living this out. Okay. And, and, and that's, maybe I'm reaching there. Maybe I'm reaching a little bit. But I think it's time that we, that we start going. And we start engaging with the people that not a lot of the world is going to engage with. Because we see our Savior Jesus do it. Okay. Because we love Christ, we do it. Last one, 16D, our last action of the day. Never be wise in your own sight. And this, for me, this is just the issue that often causes all the others to crumble down. We think we've got this whole thing figured out. We think we know more than we should know. We're always seeking to crave knowledge. Right? If you go back to the Garden of Eden, that was the problem. Right? They wanted to know what God knew. We often pursue it when we think we have it, and then all of this tends to fall apart. And so what I want to land with is just a text from Philippians chapter 2, verses, uh, we're going to read 5 through 11, we'll come back and read 1 through 4, and just let this sit on us. Okay, as, as, listen, ready? And we're going back to the beginning. If you love Jesus, your life should be shaped by and look like this. Okay? Verses 5 through 11, Philippians first, or chapter 2. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, equal, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and became a man. He brought himself down to our level. Listen, if there... Jesus could have counted equality with God something to be grasped. Why? Because he's God. But he chooses not to. Why? So he could serve and love the other and glorify his Father in heaven. Setting aside all his royal and kingly parts of himself to be with us that he would live a life that we could never live, that he would die the death that we deserve to die, he would raise in the third day, giving us to new life. That's the gospel. That God became one of us. He got down and dirty with us. And so what does that mean for us? Verses one through four. So, Christians, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, harmonious, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. My hope for us, and listen, we've been, we've been plowing through this, right? All of these different ways that we're supposed to love God, love each other, love the world, all of, it bo- listen, count others more important than yourselves. If you, just, if you just said that to yourself over and over throughout the day, I bet we'd start acting different. I bet we'd start making different decisions. And I also bet we'd start looking a lot more like Jesus. And and I bet a lot more people would want to hear from you about this great Savior who's reconciling the world to himself. Now, we fall short, and we're going to go after this together, and we're going to mess up, but then we're going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to try again. Because the gospel has so much room for that, grace for that, mercy for that. And praise God that he does. Praise God that he found fit to come and to love and to serve us and to reconcile all of creation back to himself, that he came himself. He didn't send him, he came himself, made himself low, that we then could be exalted with Christ for all time and eternity. Christian, let's start responding. Let's start living out this ethic of love that we see in Scripture without excuse. Okay. And if you're here and you're not, you're not a Christian, you kind of stumbled in here, you thought, you know, whatever, I'm come check it out, or a friend brought you, whatever it is, 
this gospel, it is your story. I just don't think you believe it yet. Okay. But this is the true story of the world. What, G, what we just talked about, this is what has happened. This is history. And he, he might be calling you today to align yourself, to be of one mind with Christ. Okay. So let's do this together. Let's, let's remember Jesus as we sing, as we give, as we do all the response stuff. Let's remember Jesus and let's begin to live like him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the true story of the world. God, we, uh, we confess that we oftentimes um, settle for lesser stories. That we, um, we align ourselves with things that we think are gonna fulfill and be satisfactory, but they end up not being all that great. God, we ask that you would just reveal yourself in greater ways today because we're gonna try and, and we're gonna try and serve, we're gonna try and love people better. I'm gonna try and consider others more important than myself, but I just know at the same time that in the midst of it, I'm just gonna forget. And I'm just gonna start thinking about me again. And so Christ, I pray for two things. One, that for everyone in this room, that you would give us a greater glimpse and view of Jesus Christ. God, that we would see you more clearly, that we'd understand you more clearly, that, that we'd remember you more often. And then God, we pray for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us, because we just can't do it ourselves. Thank you that obedience to everything that you did is not what is required for you to love us, but only a love of Christ himself. Thank you, Christ, that you have been obedient, obedient even unto the cross, that in our disobedience we could still find life. And so, Christ, would you bless us today as we respond? Will we see more of you as we sing, as we give, and as we come to your table? It's in your name we pray. Amen.